Okay, good morning. Let's start the Sicha. It is Parsha's Ve'era, Chelek Tes Zion, Sicha Hey. And if you have a chance, you can take a look at the chart that I made. So to start with Aleph, Binogea Lamakos, Shehevi HaKadosh Baruch Al Mitzrayim, Matina Plukta. I was interrupting a moment. Sure. Am I the only one, am I the only one having a problem printing the paper? I think that if you're having trouble, that somehow the chart needs to be made into a PDF. If somebody's able to do that and repost a PDF would be great. Uh, Some people were able to print it. Um, okay. Okay, I'm sorry. You can definitely follow the CFO without the chart. The chart was just a little extra. Binogeo Lamako Shevi Akadosh Baruch Hu Al Mitzrayim Matsinu Plukta Bain Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Akiva. So with regard to the plagues that Hashem brought on the Egyptians, there's an argument between Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Eliezer Omer Kol Maka Hayita Shel Arba Makais. Rabbi Akiva Omer Shel Chamesh Makais. So you might be familiar with this from the Haggadah. Rabbi Eliezer says that every Maka was multiplied by four, as if it was like a four, four times the strength. And Rabbi Akiva says that it was actually multiplied by five. So what's the meaning of the difference between, was it four times the strength or five times the strength? Um, not the strength, excuse me, four, like each maka was four or each maka was five, which I put that on the chart. So it's explained by someone referred to as Baal Hamalamid that the argument, what's the argument really about? Ladas Rabbi Eliezer, Hamakos Chadru Bekol Arba Hayasidos Shokol Davar. That according to Rabbi Eliezer, who says that each maka was like four plagues, that it permeated all four aspects, all four aspects of every single object, meaning everything is made up of the four elements. We have earth, sun, water, air, and everything we have, every object, so the blood, for example, um, in the first maka, is made up of different components. So deeper than like what you're experiencing as an object, as a composite, the maka got permeated a level deeper to the to the ingredients, so to speak, to the makeup of the matter. And with regard to the four elements, um, we're not going to talk about water, but if you want just an easy way to think about it, water is H2O. So it got into the hydrogen and the oxygen, so to speak, as opposed to just the composite, which is what we call water. Kelomar hamaka lopagavit davar rakafisha hu morkav kvarmit mikol arba So that's to say, if the maka, the plague, didn't just interact with the thing the way we we know it, the way it's comprised in our world. But it went deeper. It went into the essence of the four components of the of the four elements of the actual thing. And therefore every maka was four. For example, the maka of blood. It didn't just engage or permeate the liquid as it's like a liquid, but it also permeated the fire, the wind, 
and the dust within water. So don't ask you to fully explain exactly what that means, but I think we can, I, I mean, I hope that's understandable. It got to a deeper level of, of, what, it, of what a physical object was made up of. This is all according to Rabbi Eliezer, but now let's switch over to Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva mechadesh yoter mizeh. So Rabbi Akiva went, he made even more, he went even deeper. He made even a more a novel idea. That the maka, it engaged even deeper than the four components that comprise everything, the four elements. It went to something called chomer hayelui. Um, so later in the sicha, the Rebbe is going to define that or relate or connect that to the concept of yechida, the essence, like deeper than, a, a level deeper than the contraction. So if every object in this world comes down into this world through what we call Seder Histelchalus through a way of contractions, that there's the godly light and then it goes, it contracts and contracts and contracts until it finally looks like a pencil. But there's a level beyond those contractions. There's one level deeper. And with regard to our soul, we call it the Yechidish of the Nefesh, a, a much a essential place that's beyond what we're comprised of. Again, these are Kabbalistic ideas that are a little hard to articulate, especially for myself. Um, and in the English translation that Project Lekutei Sichas um, put up, they translate Chomer HaYului as Chomer HaYului. So that wasn't so helpful. Um, but um, it's the, the initial state of materiality, a state before contraction. So Rabbi Akiva has that level additional. That's why he, he says that every maka was five. And this is a level that's more simple, more uh, more contained than the level of the object once it's already can be divided up or once it's already comprised of the four elements. Therefore, every plague was like, Five, the four elements, as well as this deep essential state called Chomer Hayalui. So, what was the purpose of the Makos? Well, it's exactly as, as their name, they're a plague. The point was to destroy and to break and to hit Mitzrayim, Egypt. And this is related to what we're just talking about. How deeply did the plague penetrate the objects, the physical things that, that were impacted by the plague? How deeply was did the plague penetrate? Um, so if you if you look at the chart, we have Rabbi Eliezer the four and Rabbi Akiba the five. Kavanas hamakos haita kishimam. I just read that. Lefish de hadaisos lohe tahamaka rock begilui. So, according to both opinions, Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Akiva, the maka was not just as we experience it on a revealed level, but daver kifisha hu nira vinikar, something that's obvious and seen. Elagam behelam, the beetam hadaver. No matter which opinion you take, the plague also it permeated a hidden level. So both opinions, whether or not you're going to take Rabbi Akiba, that it went to the Chomer Hayilui, the deep, deep essential nature, or Rabbi Eliezer, that it permeated the four elements, the makeup of the 
of them. They're dependent on how deeply did it impact Egypt. And how deeply did it come in order to nullify the impurity of Mitzrayim? So depending on how deeply the impurity of Egypt was was experienced or was felt or was permeated, not experienced, excuse me, was permeated into the world, that's how deeply the plague had to come to counteract it. So was the impurity of Mitzrayim on the level of Rabbi Eliezer, that it impacted the four elements that comprise the world? Or was it even deeper than that, that the impurity of Egypt impacted the four elements and also went to a deeper essential level? And depending on how intense the impurity was, is whether or not the play was multiplied by four or multiplied by five. I'm up to Saif Gimel, on the second page. Ha'inyan hanal, masha tumas mitzrayim higia at etzim etzios hadzvarim, v'haplukta hanal. So this idea of whether um, the impurity of Egypt went to the essence of the matter and the argument above, so this is not just a philosophical conversation. This is a conversation, a discussion, a distinction that we can see also in halacha, in the revealed aspects of Torah. And we're going to analyze the halachic prohibition of chametz, of leavened bread, on Passover, in order to um, understand this on on that level. Um, iser, so this is the next part of the chart that says prohibition of chametz. Iser ha-chametz eina rak be-achila ve-hana elagam be-kol yira ve-kol yimsa. So there are three parts of the prohibition of chametz. There's eating, there's benefit, and there's ownership. And as a result from this comes another mitzvah of Bior Chametz, otherwise known as, we, we refer to it in English as burning of a Chametz, but I purposely use the Hebrew word on the third part of the chart, <laughs> Bior Chametz. We're going to get to that after. So when we talk about eating, it's not abstract and it's connected to a piece of bread, the way that it, it the way that it, the form of it. And it's not directed at a deeper level of what, of the bread. It's not the matter as it was before it became bread. It's just the, the, the form of the bread. It's, we're not talking about the essence, we're talking about just the form of the object. But when we talk about benefiting, we do go a little bit deeper. But when we're talking just about eating, we're talking about the physical form of the object. So we're separating eating and benefit because there is a possibility 
that you're allowed to benefit from something, but you're not allowed to eat it. And this is why, because eating is physical, it's external, it's more, it's not abstract, whereas the benefit could be a little bit more abstract. Um, and then the Rev asks a question, how is it possible that something could be kind of like partly forbidden? You're not allowed to eat it, but you are allowed to benefit from it. So not brought in the sicha, but I'll just say as a side point to make it a little more, at least the way it, it made sense to me, um, if you have like a slaughterhouse and they take a cow and they slaughter it, and it turns out that the cow is trafe, it's not a kosher cow, the slaughterhouse actually is allowed to benefit from that. They're allowed to sell it to a non-Jewish market. So you're not allowed to eat it, but you are allowed to benefit. So there, there is such a thing that there's this difference between the eating and the benefit. Um, and I, I did, I did put this into the chart. Ela habir vazehu kanal iser achila perush shaharandim tzarak betsuros hadaver vechitzonia. So we're going to analyze what does it mean to be, what is eating. It's connected to the external aspects of the of the of the thing, the form, the mashagoram lolios uilechila, that which makes it, a, a, you know, that we can eat it. Vilechan hadaver mutar bahana ki bechomer veetzam hadaver shayechan lana ein kora. So with with um, something that would be allowed to be eaten, you certainly would be allowed to benefit from it because there's no there's nothing uh, usser about it at all. So with regard to benefit, there's actually two aspects of benefit. Um, it is more abstract. Um, that benefit is connected to how we use it, like eating it. And it's in a specific form. Um, Okay, and this is connected to the form that it's in. But when it comes to chametz, not just plain non-kosher, there's an additional iser, uh, which is that we can't own it. And it doesn't matter the form that it's in, it can't be owned at all. And therefore, that if any chametz is found in your possession, it's forbidden. It's connect, it's it's not doesn't matter how you use it or the form that it's in, but rather it's completely and totally forbidden to own it. So which reminded me of a story that actually becomes more relevant as we go a little bit deeper. We'll, we'll talk about the Biwar Chametz. I'll share it just really briefly. It's a story from memoirs that um, is also printed in Talks and Tales. There are two Hasidim. And I think that the point of the story in its original form is just to bring out the beauty of a simple Jew or a working Jew. And they own a brewery that brews beer, which is completely Chametz. And each one thinks that the other one sold the Chametz. And lo and behold, Passover comes, it's already it's already Passover, and they, they find out that neither one of them actually sold the chametz. And they're both completely and totally distraught, and they're besides themselves. 
and they don't know what to do. And they run to the Rav who runs to the Dayan and they beg him for an answer of how to do tshuva. And he says to uh, relinquish all ownership of it. Um, and um, seeing the distress of the two simple but pious men, the Dayan strove to assure them that they carried out all the decisions of the rabbinical cart. Their guilt would be would not be as grave as they thought nor the penalty as severe as when, as they believed they merited. Um, the beer which was contained in the barrels at their brewery outside of the town should be poured out and no one should have any benefit therein. And all vestiges and barley used for the beer making should be locked away until after Yantav, then the matter would be considered further. So they're given this psaq of how to, um, it sounds like curtail their ownership of it in the best way possible. And they're very, very distressed and they don't actually feel good about this. And they go to sleep that night. And one of them wakes up early to like red neon flames. And he realizes the brewery went up in flames and he's so excited. And the whole town thinks that these Hasidim are going to be distressed because they lost all their parnasas, all their livelihood, all their money, their entire business just went up in flames. But they're actually dancing and so excited that their deep, deep tshuva was accepted. So I think it's a beautiful story, but you see that the ownership it goes even deeper. Like here, they're given exactly how to get rid of it and, and what to do and to let the beer flow out and the, and the vessel should be put away, but they still have a connection to it. So until Hashem, so to speak, they take that accepts their tshuva and causes this fire, um, they still feel connected. It's, it's not just about the usage. It's not just about the, the actual product because they, they let it out. They let out the beer from the barrels, but it's about a deeper connection to it. And as we talk about the beer chametz and the burning, I think that the story actually relates even, continues to relate. So now let's move to Dalad, to the beer chametz. The mitzvah's beer chametz, matzino plosa, in the mitzvah itself of burning your chametz, there is um, an argument, because that's the way we like to do things, the discussion. Then Rabbi Yehuda lechachamim. Rabbi Yehuda and a Chachamin, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, ain't beer chametz elas spreifa, the Chachamim omrim af mifarer vizor leruach or matil lemayim. So Rabbi Yehuda says the only way that one can destroy the chametz is through burning. And the Chachamim say that it can actually be put in water in the ocean or it can be crumbled and sort of blown in the wind. And if you ever remember a Passover that fell out on a Mote Shabbos, meaning uh, Shabbos was Erev Pesach. We take the matzah crumb, I sorry, the chametz crumbs, the challah crumbs, and certain families, at least this is what my family did, is we put them in the toilet. So that's really relying on this opinion that you could do the destroying of the chametz with putting it in the toilet, uh, with water, sorry, the ocean. Um, it doesn't say toilet in the sources. <laughs> and I guess just a visual, uh, a muscle that maybe many people are familiar with. People say, like, if you want to make up for speaking Lashon Hara about people, there's a story. The man, he goes to the top of the highest building and he takes his um, pillow filled with down, filled with feather, and he lets the feathers fly out. And then he's told, go collect those feathers. And it's impossible. And it's sort of a, a muscle to the to the impact that a person could have if they speak badly about a person. Um, but again, the fact that it's impossible, I think, is the image that I wanted to bring out that the Chacham say that's one way you could deal with the Chametz, just kind of like throw it to the wind, crumble it. Whereas Rabbi Yehuda says you must burn it. That's why I didn't translate beer Chametz as burning the Chametz, but rather kept the Hebrew word. 
So the Ragachever is now going to explain to us what's this argument really about, these two modalities of getting rid of our chametz. So according to Rabbi Yehuda, you have to destroy the essence of the chametz. And therefore, you must burn it to really, really destroy it, essentially. But if you just kind of spread it out in the wind, still there's the essence of the chametz exists. That's why I thought that story with the feather pillow kind of brought out the same point, that it's there's still concepts of it there in the world. But on the other hand, the chachamim, the, the rabbis say, that it's actually good enough to destroy the form of the chametz, meaning it would be okay to just disperse it in the wind. Because it, it destroyed the possibility for a person to eat or to profit from the chametz in any way. And this will happen if a person disperses it into the wind. So that's what made me think of that story that you have on one level, they're given the instructions from the Dayan and how to deal with it, but they wanted to go to a deeper level. They wanted to really, really get rid of that chametz. They were so distraught that Hashem, as the story goes, Hashem made a miracle and the whole thing went up in flames. The move on shashior ha-hashbata gufa bishaila ad kama choder isra chametz bedava her isra. Okay, so now we're gonna go back to what we started about, how deeply is the impurity permeated. We had Rabbi Eliezer was four times and Rabbi Akiva was five times. So the level of destruction is dependent on how deeply the prohibition of chametz is embedded or permeated in the actual thing. So does the prohibition of chametz get down to the essence, to the deepest, deepest levels before it's even like a, a matter before, like deeper than the four elements. So if that's the case, then the essence of the chametz needs to be nullified, needs to be destroyed, which would be like Rabbi Akiva's approach, the five times, the play getting the four elements and then the, the fifth level. But if the prohibition is connected just to the form, then it's enough to destroy the form. So the level of eating and benefiting is enough um, to destroy that level. Uh, because there's there's no um is you can't benefit from it or eat it if you destroy the form of it. So the Rebbe says, and one could say that these two opinions are connected to the ideas of Rabbi Eliezer and the ideas of Rabbi Akiva with regard to the Makas. So we're going back there. So it's like, if you just take a step outside of the Sikha, like we're being given all these ideas, but it's absolutely like incredible to see what the Rebbe saw when he's learning these halakhas. 
Um, so let's go according to Rabbi Eliezer. De Rabbi Eliezer, which I believe is in my, uh, is is in my my uh, last chart, I believe. De Rabbi Eliezer Shakol Maka Chulo Shel Arba Maka. So Rabbi Eliezer tells us that each one of the makos was four. Each one of the plagues was four. Shamakos hare rak bedaver kafi shekvar yeshvot siur shel arba yesodis. That the plague interacts with something that has the four that is comprised of the four elements. Hem kashitas chachamim, and this goes according to the ruling of the rabbis hachachamim. Afin ferer bezorei the ruach that you can dis- disperse something into the wind. Because you're destroying the chametz as it is in form. As it is, and that negates the possibility of eating or benefiting from it. But now, according to Rabbi Akiva, that each maka was actually five. That the makos even went to this deeper level, this essential level, before even before it contracts into the aspect of, of, of our world, into the four elements. So therefore, he agrees with Rabbi Yehuda that it needs to be burnt, that it needs to be completely and completely and totally obliterated. So now we're going to analyze two aspects of what actually benefit means, which I went a little backwards on the chart, went back to the second chart, the prohibition of chametz. Um, so with regard to the two types of beer chametz, the destruction of the chametz, which is discussing um, about the essence of the chametz, like what, what is the essence or how deep is the is the um, isser connected to the essence, does the Torah prohibit the essence of it as in, in existence or rather just the form of it? Um, so there are two concepts of benefit with regard to these things. Because like we said, eating is not very, isn't the least abstract. Eating is the most straightforward. So one aspect of benefit, Aleph, this is in Se'if Hay, the little Aleph, that the benefit in some capacity is going to bring you to eating again. Because you sell something, you get money for it, you buy food with your money. So even if it's indirect, but it's to some capacity, going to go right back to, to feeding myself. Um, you're going to make a profit from the sale. It's indirect, but you're going to make a profit and then you're going to um, buy something to eat. So even if it's disconnected, it's still bringing you back to um, food. And that the second concept of benefit, usage of it that doesn't bring about any benefit to me whatsoever. So what's an example of this? 
Achil davar iser lakalve hefker, giving food that I cannot eat, forbidden food to um, an ownerless animal. The benefit, the usage that I'm getting from this doesn't in any way, isn't in any way, not the usage, sorry, the benefit that I'm getting this isn't in any way connected to eating. So there's these two aspects. The Yerushalmi Yishplugta, so another argument. In the Yerushalmi, we have a dis, uh, a, an argument. Whether or not you're allowed to give chametz to an ownerless dog. Ownerless is important because if you own the dog, then you're for sure getting a direct benefit from it. But ownerless. So one opinion says that it's allowed. Um, and another opinion says that um, when you're not allowed to eat it, this includes all usage of it. And this would also include giving it to an ownerless dog. So this discussion in the Yerushalmi about what to do, are you how are you allowed to use chametz? Can you give it to an ownerless dog? Can you not? The Rebbe says, "Yesh lomar shagam pluktazo talui v'shayla hanal ad kama chadar iser chametz bechomer ve'etzam hadavar." The Rebbe says it lines up exactly with what we're talking about. How deeply is the prohibition of chametz embedded in this chametz? How deeply is the prohibition prohibition embedded? Is it deep deeply that you can't eat it and you can't benefit it, or is it so deep that you can't even have any usage of it? You can't even throw it out to the street for an ownerless dog to come get it. So if the prohibition is permeated in the essence only to the form, then this is the, the prohibition of benefit. So then the benefit would only apply that the prohibition of benefiting from chametz would only apply in some capacity that's connected with food, meaning it would go according to the first opinion that um, it's allowed. You could throw it out on the street and if a dog gets it, he gets it. But if the prohibition of chametz goes so deeply to the essential state of the thing, here we're talking about chametz, like beyond what it's comprised of in our world, but the essential deeper state before contraction, so to speak. So then the, the prohibition of benefit is, is the matter itself. And this would include any single capacity of usage of it in any way whatsoever. Even has nothing to do with consumption, with eating. I'm just throwing it on the street, and if a dog gets it, he gets it. This would be a deeper level, which I'm. I hope it's obvious how that lines up with Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Akiva at this point. Now Eliezer is the four, and Akiva is the five. So the brackets. The Alpiza Yeshla Marsha Tamle Davar Rabbi Yosef Hagalili She. So now it's in brackets, so we don't over get ourselves a little too confused. But there is a third opinion about the plagues that we haven't heard until now. We had Rabbi um, 
Akiva says that's five plagues. Rabbi Eliezer says four, but there's also Rabbi Yossi HaGalili that's brought at that that's brought in the Gemara at that same time. That each mako was one. There were 10 makos, and at the sea, they had 50. That's what Rabbi Yossi HaGalili says. But each maka was one. Who ki l'shitas chametz mutar b'hana? And that's because the same Rabbi Yossi HaGalili that says each maka was one, he says that you're allowed to have benefit from chametz. Now, this is obviously not the way that we pass, and not the way that we follow, but that's his opinion. And he says that the prohibition of chametz is only in the form of it. And therefore, his opinion is that the impurity of Mitzrayim, it only went into the external aspects and the form, the form, the physical nature, the external aspects of whatever it engaged with. So he doesn't go as deep as Rabbi Eliezer. And he says that the impurity went into the object as it is after it's comprised of the four elements, just the object like this. Once you break it down, once you take the water, you break it into hydrogen and oxygen, that, that's already okay. But when it's the composite matter, just holding a pencil, um, that's what's impure. So now I'm up to Saif Vav on page five. Al piha amor la'ayl. So according to everything that we've discussed thus far, shaplukta de Rabbi Eliezer v'Rabbi Akiva taluya b'mida shaba chadar tuma mitzrayim. That the argument of Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Akiva is really all about the level of impurity in Egypt that um, permeated the land of Egypt, Eretz Yisrael, Bes Asher and everything within it. So now we're getting a little more into the Hasidic aspects, which I believe is the last chart I made, which I labeled Gullus. Once we're going to understand that what we read in the Haggadah every year, that Rabbi Eliezer says four and Rabbi Akiva says five, is really talking about a much deeper concept here about how deeply the impurity permeated the land of Egypt. Now, once we have those glasses on, those lenses on, let's talk about what the Gullus is all about. The Rov Hamakaimus Ain Gullus Mitzrayim Nemanis Ben Arba Hamachlios Vahaglios. In most places, the exodus, the, the, sorry, the exile in Egypt is not counted amongst the four king, kingdoms that exiled us. And why not? The reason is, because the exile in Egypt was greater than them all. And it can't be combined with them because it was it was it was the root of it, it was the source of it, it was it was the general concept of all exiles or rooted in the exile Mitzrayim, it was like the overarching thing, the overarching exile. So it's not part of it. It's kind of like the category, the category head, I suppose. I don't know. On the other hand, However, on the other hand, it's not always listed that way. Sometimes it's listed as part of the four. 
And it's listed as the first one of them, the first one of the four exiles, but it's part of the four. So again, this idea, is Mitzrayim, is Egypt part of the four kingdoms that exiled us? Or is it kind of like the head exile and the others are under it? It depends on how, if we're going to go according to Rabbi Eliezer or according to Rabbi Akiva, according to the four, each mako, each plague was four or each plague was five. Uh, and the Rabbi says, So it could be that these two ideas are dependent on how deeply did the um, impurity of Mitzrayim, of Egypt, permeate. Habir Bazet to explain this. So why is Egypt not counted in most places between uh, as part of the four kingdoms that exiled us? It's because the four kingships that exiled us, the four societies are like the four letters in the name Havaye, the Yud and the He and the Vav and the He. The Gullus Mitzrayim, who neged kotel shall yud. However, the Gullus Mitzrayim, the exile of Mitzrayim, is like the tip or the crown of the yud. So if you ever look at letters as they're written in the Sefer Torah, the Safras letters, every letter has these little uh, tips and crowns. Uh, actually, this isn't even, the Rebbe does use the word crown later. But also the yud itself has that tip, the little, the crown of the yud. The alpi ha-yudua sha'arba ha-yasodos hem dalid and this crown of the Yud, this Keter, this, this tip of the Yud, is just like what we had on our first page, that phrase, Homer Hayilui, this level that's before the contraction, this deep, deep essential level that's even greater or that's even more esoteric or, or deeper or elevated than the way a matter is when it comes into this world, like that higher than contraction. Again, these are very capitalistic terms. I'm trying to um, wrap my brain around it and then find vocabulary. So if anyone wants to jump in with better vocabulary to, for these terms, that's definitely appreciated. Um, but the Mitzrayim being that level that it's easy for me to picture like a crown, the crown above the four. And then underneath it becomes the four exiles. So again, that would be to say in, in the vein of Rabbi Akiva that the four exiles would be like the four elements, the fire, earth, water, air, and Egypt would be, the exile of Mitzrayim of Egypt would be above all of that, the before contraction, the even the deeper essential state. However, there are many occasions, or there are occasions when Mitzrayim, when Egypt is part of the four exiles. And thank um, this would be to say that Egypt is on the level of Chachma. Now, if you know that the Midos, we have the Chachma is the highest level, and we have the Chachma being Adas, and then the emotive Midos, but Chachma being the highest level. So Mitzrayim is like the Chachma, and everything kind of subdivides and subdivides and gets rooted back in Chachma. And this is according to when Mitzrayim is part of, when Egypt is part of the four. 
So, of course, even according to this idea that Egypt is part of the four exiles, it's still the source of all exiles. And it's the source of, of um, every exile that we've had. However, according to this opinion, the impurity of Mitzrayim, it only impacted um, the form of something after it was comprised of the four um, of the four elements. So again, this is more according to the approach of Rabbi Eliezer, that while Mitzrayim certainly is the hardest and the most deepest exile, it's still within the realm of something that's comprised by the four elements. Someone actually just asked me on Chavez, why didn't the Jews fight back? I explained to her in just like one sentence that it was such a deep, deep, deep exile it was absolutely impossible. It was much more, uh, much, much worse and much more difficult than the Holocaust. And people, you know, just because it's recent history, uh, people actually said that right after the Holocaust also. But um, from any learning that people do about the Holocaust, it's very obvious why the Jews didn't fight back. Uh, but it just sort of underscored that we sometimes overlook how difficult and how deep the exile in Mitzrayim was. So Zion, Inyan Hagalas, Vietzietz Mitzrayim, Yeshno Gamba Avoda Ruchnias. So all of this philosophical talking also relates to our spiritual service. So this is an idea maybe some people have heard before that Mitzrayim, the word Mitzrayim, Egypt, is connected to the word Mitzrayim and Gvul, boundaries and things that hold us back. So when we think about what is the exile in Egypt, it means that we as Jews we have we we're bound we have boundaries we're, we're, we have um shortcomings um we have things that hold us back the yitzias mitzrayim and what does it mean to leave egypt the exile from egypt he yitzias but so mikol hamedidos bahagbalos it's that we leave all of our bounds and everything that holds us back and everything that ties us down away from connecting to god and from living um a completely connected life with with hashem we leave that all of our all of the things that hold us back. And not just um, the things that hold back my animal soul, like my job and my need for food and all the different things, but also the things that hold back my godly soul, which is a much higher level, the, the things that are holding me back on a spiritual level or that always wants to connect, but still there are things that are holding, holding us back on so many levels. And the deeper that we can connect to the leaving of Mitzrayim, the deeper we can um we can leave Mitzrayim. Ah, so now they're tying us all back around. This is what it really means, the argument of Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Akiva. So we're, this is what it's all about. Were the plagues um, only connected to the four elements or to this deeper level, the Homer Hahilui, this, this level of maybe the Yechida. So now, according to Rabbi Eliezer, if the um, work, um, if the service of leaving Mitzrayim, the overture of, of leaving our exodus, 
is this connected to our 10 powers of the soul, the 10 midot or spherot, which are going to be subdivided into four categories? This is Rabbi Eliezer's approach, which I, I, this is in the chart. What? How would that be subdivided? Aleph, avoda, bepol, machshava, dibor, b'maisa are just our physical, regular actions, all of our thought, speech, and action. So to me, that's a very, very, very high level, but that's being listed as the lowest level. And that all of our thought, speech, and actions should be, um, we have to have like a yitzhiyat misraim, so to speak, a leaving of the exile, a leaving of our boundaries in our thought, speech, and action, that we, um, that that's all connected to godliness. And the next level that holds us back is our midos, and the our emotional attributes. So not just my external thought, speech, and action being my externalities, the way that I express myself. Thought is something spoken about a lot in Tanya, but yes, thought is part of my external expression. Whereas my how I feel about it deep inside that I might not share with you, that's my midot. And then the next level is Gimel is my seichel. Here it's, is bina, um, is my intellect above how I feel about it, but how I think about it. And then the fourth level, a very, very high level is Mesiris Nefesh, is my Chachma, is my self-sacrifice, is, is connecting to the divine, is going beyond even how I think about it. It doesn't make sense to me, but I'll do it anyway. Ladas Rabbi Eliezer, kol maka kulo shel arba makos, nidreshes avodah shel yitzias nitzarayim, bekol arba sugei kaychos hanefesh, v'yesh l'tzaz mehagbala shel kol echad mehem. So Rabbi Eliezer says that when we're doing our spiritual exodus from Egypt, we have to we have to elevate ourselves from all four of those categories. And now the Rebbe is going to give a paragraph on each one. So the first level, um, which I think for many myself at least is a very high level, is leaving the boundaries of my yetzer, my inclination. Something that pushes me to do a forbidden action, God forbid. In action, in speech, or even in thought. And practically speaking, this might require a tremendous amount of internal war, internal fight and to, to make sure that my thought, speech, and action are, are always aligned in the appropriate way. And that's what Yitzhiyas Mizraim offers me the opportunity to align myself. Okay, but now on the level two, even on a more refined level, even though I practically, or a person practically tries really hard not to do anything forbidden, and not even, even a tiny little deviation from what should be, in Hagaso, Vinye Heter, and Hamatim La Hanachos Ha'olam. However, their behavior, the way they act with things that they're allowed to act with, you know, the way that we eat and and um, do all the different parts of life that are completely um, prohibited, is in the way of the world, so to speak, is cultural. The Kol Davar Shosayesh, and everything I do. There's a tiny little piece that says, what is, what is the world going to think of me? What's the rest of the world going to say? And this is showing that even though our behavior is totally appropriate, 
we're still bound by the feelings of the world around us. We're still concerned about what others are going to think. That I feel my surroundings and I and I give importance and weight to it. So anyway, just going to say what's coming to my mind. I didn't think about this as I was preparing, but thinking about it as I'm teaching, and I don't want to get off track, but and I know we're not supposed to editorialize, but it's hard with everything going on in Israel to sometimes wish that there was less thought put into what the rest of the world is going to think of us. I'll just leave it at that. Um, so now let's get to the third level. I, I already graduated that. My thoughts, speech, and action are all appropriate. I'm not so concerned about the world's going to think of me. However, um, but everything has to make sense to me. What I, what I, Everything that I do, I do with Tom Vadas. I do with logic and principle and with the certain coldness of intellect. I'm, I'm not concerned about what the world thinks of me, but I but I still use my intellect as my as the cold intellect as my guiding, my guiding light, I guess, or my guiding push. And what's the last level? The last level of a true exodus from Egypt. And again, this is all still according to Rabbi Eliezer, according to the idea that there were four makas. Ladas Rabbi Eliezer. This is the avoda of self-sacrifice. The chachma, which is translated as wisdom within the soul. So it's true that on the level of self-sacrifice, we are above thought and reason, but we still have some form of boundary. To illustrate what that means, the Rebbe is going to share a story. A story of the Friedzika Rebbe. There was a man that was saying Kriyashma and he elongated the word Echad as we're taught to do. He's bonen the Echad, the Achar, and he really meditated on the word Echad, on the oneness of God. And afterwards, he says to the Rebbe that his meditation lasted about a minute. In Hebrew, bald ena minut. It lasted about a minute. And he legitimately um, he meditated on the word echad on the level of mesiris nefesh, on the level of self-sacrifice, of completely giving himself over. But even such, even in that ability and that capacity to be on such a high level, he was still aware of the time. He was still aware that a minute had elapsed. And here's another example. Or Bedakos Yoto, or even more, more simply, or more refined, or more nuanced. A dying yeshlo hergeshahu noheg bimisiris nefesh. A person has the understanding, the feeling that they are acting in self-sacrifice in this moment. They still feel the self. Um, I put that in the chart. Highest levels, Mesiris Nefesh, still conscious of the self. And this shows that they haven't completely and totally um, gone out of all of the boundaries and all of the limitations of our existence. 
to ches, just to tie it up in a really beautiful way. So now comes Rabbi Akiva. But he says it's five. It's five plagues. We just deeply analyze what it means, the four. Now comes another level. Well, first, let's back up. Rabbi Eliezer, who Al-Sham Elokei Avi Be'ezri. Rabbi Eliezer comes from a very, very long, beautiful lineage of um, tremendous Torah scholars. As it says, his name is for the God of my father, Be'ezri, will help me with help. Huhaya ben Horkinus. He's the son of Horkinus that Pirke Avos talks about, that every teaching that Horkinus had from his teacher, he never lost. He retained it all like a sealed cistern. The ben Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. And he is the son of Avraham and Yitzhak and Yaakov. The Hayalo Ezer me'elokei He had help from the gods of his father. He had this long, I mean, for lack of a better word, Yichas, this, this very, very holy lineage. And therefore, he couldn't in any capacity whatsoever fathom that anything could touch the essence of a Jew. As it says that even at the time of sin, a Jew has complete faith. That's Rabbi Eliezer. But what about Rabbi Akiva? About Rabbi Akiva Haya Ben Gerim. This is just so beautiful. But Rabbi Akiva was the son of converts. And therefore, he would never lose sight of any other individual, someone that needs to be brought back, it says, under the wings of the Shechina, brought back into the fold. Someone, he's, he doesn't come from this yichus. He doesn't come from this long line of tzaddikim. He doesn't come from Hashem is my help. He comes from, conference. he comes from, he has no Jewish lineage. Um, and he will never lose sight of anybody. Vividakos yoter, zohi ha de machpirim yechidi avoda shel tikkun etzem hanefesh. And in a more nuanced way, this is the work of total bittel, of of complete rectification of the essence of the soul, of a much deeper level. So not just what I'm comprised of, but that that deeper, deeper, deeper level that's before the next contraction, that's before the next um, permeation into the world. Um, so this actually creates a benefit and advantage in its own way, this aspect of Rabbi Akiva, far-reaching, going even deeper than um, than the, what a person is comprised of, but going to the essence, the deep, deep, deep essence. So through this, through the approach of Rabbi Akiva, the exit of, of Mitzrayim can have an impact on that level as well. That we can we can leave the boundaries and the limitations and everything that holds back, even on the the deepest soul level, the deepest essential soul level. That a person can go back to the essence of the godly soul, where boundary does not exist. So there's abs. There's only oneness. There's no boundary whatsoever. And this is what ultimately will bring the exodus from Egypt and all the levels, 
until the complete and total, total exodus, Yitzias Mitzrayim, Mimitzri Hagalus Hazeh, which will include leaving of Egypt from this Gullus today, Ha'acharon Begashmias, the last physical Gullus, Kimei Seitcha Me'eretz Mitzrayim, Ereinu Niflaot. And to end of the bracha, that the date that the exodus of Egypt, we shall see, with the exit of Egypt, we shall see the miracles. That is our Sifa today. I just want to comment on one thing. I read. Did I stop the recording or? Oh, without, you don't have to record it now.